You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, today we are wrapping up our Circles series, and you've got an outline in your program. You're going to want to draw that out and maybe put some things down on there, that, uh, some notes, just things God's speaking to you. You want to take that out today. And uh, we've been through this series called Circles, and we started off with identity, that uh, the inner circle is identity. It's a place where you and I encounter the living God, the place where you and I meet with God, and we say, God, who am I to you? And God says to us, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom I love, and whom, with whom I am well pleased. That God loves you, that he's pleased with you. And we begin to think of all the reasons God shouldn't be pleased with us or all the reasons God shouldn't love us. And God's like, doesn't matter what you think, I, out of my great sacrificial love, love you. I love you. And that's a God who actually cares for us. And just a beautiful thing. So we start with identity. Then we watch as Jesus moves from the baptism where God speaks his identity out into the wilderness. And you and I go to the wilderness places, the places where we are tried and tested and tempted, where we fall down and fail, where we begin to look and say, if you look at my behavior, I'm a failure. And God's going, no, I bring you back to identity. I say that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And it's a beautiful thing that that's where we begin to grow spiritual muscle, that our faith begins to grow and increase because we find out that God's never going to give up on us. He's going to be there for us, that he's going to pursue us even in the midst of our efforts and our failing and every time we fall down that we can get back up and that he is going to pursue us in that kind of way. So identity and formation, Jesus tried, tempted, tested by the devil in the wilderness, went 40 days and was without sin. In fact, he was without sin his whole life. The God-man, the only one who ever existed. But you and I, we fail. And our identity is in Christ, not in us. If it was simply in us, we would think we're a failure. But God loves us. He cares for us deeply. Then Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he picks the people he's going to do life together with. Isn't it good to do life together with some people? I just want to say, if you are in our church right now, and you are in a row, but you're not in a circle, you're missing out. Because God wants you to walk with a brotherhood or a sisterhood or with other couples, because I firmly believe that you and I grow through community. That we need to grow together. That we can try on our own and even in our walk with the Lord, but it's when we come together that we're told to encourage and build up and strengthen one another all the more until we see the day of Christ's return approaching. And so we move from identity to formation to community, and then we get on mission. And it's not just our little mission that God somehow meets our needs, that we seek God for what he can do for us, but we don't seek God for who he is. Instead, it's on mission means, God, I want to let all that you want to do in me and all that you want to do through me happen. God, I want to participate so that everything you want to do in me and everything you want to do through me will actually come to fruition. I want to be on your mission, not just simply my own little M mission. And we get on mission. So God moves us from identity to formation, community, mission, and sometimes he mixes it up. You move from community and you go back to identity. Or you move to formation, you go back to identity. You move from mission, you start to think, I am what I do. And you get all proud about what you do. God's like, no, 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 I'm going to call you back to identity. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. 
At a previous church I was at, there was a woman came in one day uh, asking for help from the church. And this is a very large church in Southern California. And this woman came in, and, and let me just say, um, there's this thing at that church called the pastor of the day. Now, it sounds like an award, but it really just means you're the guy on call for any unexpected uh, interruptions that come into, they walk into the church office, maybe people seeking help or somebody needs some counsel or just whatever. You're the pastor of the day. And so I was pastor of the day that day. I got a call up in my office. So I go down to the area, meet with this, uh, this woman in kind of a common area. And you have to begin to investigate uh, when a person comes in to find out what, it, what are they really asking for and is their need a legitimate need? Because there are basically some people who kind of consider themselves professional askers and they'll go around from place to place to place asking. And so you need to find out with the care of a person, like, is this a legitimate need that we really need to look at and take care of? And as she began to explain, her story at the beginning kind of sounded like the regular routine. It was, you know, I got here, but I don't really have money for gas for my car. Uh, I need some food to eat. I'm not sure where I'm going to you know, put my head down at night. And these are common, you know, common things. But as I began to probe a little deeper, finding out that a lot of these needs were actually uh, legitimate. But in conversation, God begins to nudge me on the inside. And he's like, these are ways you can help, but she's got a need that's deeper than that. She's got something that's more important than where she lays her head that night, more important than where she has her next meal, more important does she get a tank of gas that will run out and she'll need to take a gas again. All those things she'll need again, but there's a bigger issue at stake, and that is where is she going to spend her eternity? And we are going to help with some of the areas that we could help, and there's a church even here we help and we leverage the Elgro Food Bank. We leverage the clothing closet and we, you know, leverage shelters. So we help be the bridge to people who need help, but we send them to the people who are the professionals at really helping out in those areas. But there's a deeper need. Where is she going to spend her eternity? And we began to talk to her and, and I talked about the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is man's effort to get to God. So it's me trying to be the better me. It's you trying to be the best you. It's you trying to do all you can do to, to be a better person and, and hopefully achieve heaven or nirvana or whatever you might believe is out there. That's religion, and there's lots of them in this world. There's no shortage of religious effort in this world. But we begin to talk about relationship, night and day different. What does it mean to know the God who created you? What does it mean to know Jesus, the one who gave his life for you so that when our temporary cries for help are over, when we trade this shell in, that we know where our eternity will lie. We know our security before God. We know that our sins will have been canceled out. We know that we can have an assurance after death of where we'll be. And that's in Jesus. And as we begin to talk about that, she at that moment was then, she wanted to receive Christ as Lord. So she believed in Jesus Christ. She professed it. She prayed to receive Christ at that time. She joined the church. She actually got baptized after just a few weeks. She believed and she got baptized. And she continues to attend that church to this day. And some of her physical needs definitely got helped. But in the middle, there's something bigger. And sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes I look at the immediate cry for help and I want to fix that. And I miss the bigger picture. Do you relate to that? That something comes up and you want to swoop in and rescue. And let me tell you, there are times that people in your life, in your family, in your situation, you want to run in and rescue that person. But maybe God is saying to you, listen, let me do 
all that I want to do in that person's life. Let me work all that I want to work in this hard situation, this formative experience, so that I can do through them all that I want to do through them. And maybe us wanting to jump in and rescue is almost like us playing God. Now, people have legitimate needs, and we will respond with compassion to the legitimate needs of this world, and we do that as a church. But there are times that I get on the fix-it plan, and I miss the bigger picture. And I think maybe if you're like me, then maybe you do too. And I think God wants us to do some things differently in how we operate our lives so that we really are able to perceive the needs that are around us. This is what this young lady discovered. She discovered that people need help plus Jesus to equal wholeness. They need Jesus plus help, legitimate help, right, to equal wholeness. Now, one of the ministry partners we've often worked with in India, they have worked in India for years, and they know that sex trafficking happens in their backyard. And they basically just say, listen, we're all about church planting. We're all about church planting. And so we just want to lead people to Jesus and start a church, which is very good work. That's what we oftentimes do there as well. But we realize that people also need some legitimate help. Because the people that we've partnered with there oftentimes, one of the organizations, they'll just be like this. Yeah, we know they're being sex trafficked, but we just try to get them saved. And they're going to get sex trafficked, but at least they know Jesus. Is there something wrong with that picture? Does that strike you as just a little odd? I think people need Jesus plus help to equal wholeness. And so we work to provide safe homes. We work to provide the kind of education and care and food and opportunity that people who don't make decisions because of the lowest caste system and aren't given the power of decision-making, we give them empowerment. We think people need Jesus plus help to become whole. And I think sometimes we look at the help needs and we miss the Jesus part. So we're going to look at the Bible and just see what God is doing and what he's been up to. For you, you might say, I'm here today and I need help. Maybe for you, it's an employment crisis. You might not be without a job, but you might realize the job you're in, it may not be there long. And, and you just feel the conflict, and you're just like, I I'm, I'm need some help, God. I'm reaching out. For you, it might be a personal health crisis. That you've got some interruptions in your life. You've got some appointments you're going to. And you're like, Lord, this is totally inconvenient. Like, I, I wish I didn't have to do this stuff, but right now at this point in life, you need help. And you're reaching out, like, God, what is this? What is going on with this? You're reaching out to the Lord or to the people who can help you with your health. You might have a wayward son or daughter who is making decisions that are just wrong and actually harmful to them. And, and you're looking at them and your heart's just breaking, saying, God, just please, just please reach that person. I'm reaching out for help. I'm crying out for help. It might be that you've just seen the weight of a world gone wild. I mean, have you seen the depravity of humanity? Have you seen the cruelty of people? Have you seen what happens when unchecked evil goes on? We're shocked by it all the time. We need help and we need hope in Jesus. That young lady that I mentioned, she found the church because she was driving by the church and she saw a sign that had the word hope on it. She thought, well, maybe I'll just turn in there. She needed help, but what she really needed was hope. Do you see the difference? You can help, but you might not bring hope to people. You just brought them help. Well, she needed hope, and some of you are reaching out for hope. You're the one in need of help, but you're also in need of hope. You might have the adjustment to a new season of life, and it's bringing along with it. You feel kind of left out, or you feel lost, or you're feeling confused. 
Maybe for some of you, you're here in this room and you've just got this persistent emptiness. Man, you can't put your finger on it, but you feel empty. And you've tried to fill it with things, but it just doesn't satisfy. You're like, I thought it was going to, but that ended up being disappointing. I thought this relationship was good. That was going to be disappointing. I thought this would happen. That's disappointing. And you have this persistent emptiness. Maybe it's someone who in your family that you love and they're getting close to dying. And you just realize, God, I'm praying for a favorable outcome. Even though head knowledge, we know we're going to turn in this rental someday, that we're all mortal. But we begin to ask God for help. God, we need help right now. And God says, I'm actually doing work in and through you that is forming you into the people that I want you to be. And this is part of that process, as painful as it is. And I love you and I care for you and I I am here for help, but I'm also, more importantly, here for hope. So when you and I know that we need hope, our faith, our beliefs are actually tested. And how much so, uh, more so for those who don't know Jesus, right? They're reaching out for hope. They're reaching out for help. And they just don't even know where to get it. They don't even know, maybe even acknowledge that they need hope. They're just trying to get help. And they find out that some help doesn't satisfy. And they're looking for Jesus in many things. They're unaware that they can find real hope, compassion, forgiveness, and care right where they are. Well, there are three lessons that you and I learned when we were young, and you were maybe with a parent or a guardian, and you had to learn about crossing the street. What are the three lessons we learn about crossing the street? You come up to the curb and you do what? Stop, look, both ways, right? And listen, stop, look, and listen, right? And you think that is just great advice, and and, and I would love to find like a PSA announcement that really helps you understand um, how to stop, look, and listen in America. I couldn't really find anything, so I had to look in Great Britain and uh, the United Kingdom. So I found this video. It's really, it's really disturbing. Why don't you watch it? The boy who didn't stop, look, and listen. Before his leg was bent backwards, he loved to play football all day. But the boy didn't cross in a safe place where he could see cars come his way. He then didn't stop, look, and listen. A car hit him at quite a pace. And now he cannot play football because his leg broke in more than one place. It just traumatized most of us right in this room. I just love it. Like, before his leg was bent backwards. How horrible is that? Like, it just starts off bad. Like, Right? And I love, like, what British people do. Like, have you ever watched, like, Premier League soccer and you listen to the British commentators? I mean, they're just brutal. But, like, the most educated, nicest way brutal, they'll be like, that shot lacked conviction. <laughs> Almost like, he didn't even try. Like, could you imagine football guys being like, ah, oh, that field goal attempt was, you know, he just lacked conviction. And it's just brutal, right? But that's the way they are. And I love the British humor. And it was funny because I found this video. And I, I, uh, we have to get copyright permission like we have to get permission to rebroadcast it or show it in here rebroadcast so I I was like I gotta I just gotta go to the queen herself so I basically emailed I had to email the you know United Kingdom Department of Transportation and literally I heard back in two days and they're like yeah sure just tell who it came from and no problem I just want to say could you imagine if this was California Department of Transportation I mean God bless you if you work for them but I I'm not sure that 
I get an email even by next year, right? Maybe some guy with a shovel. Hey, yeah, go ahead and use our video. I'm just holding the shovel. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Use our video. Right? But, like, we learn these lessons. Stop and look and listen because you don't want to look both ways so you don't get hit by traffic that's going the wrong direction like in another country. And so you have to stop and look and listen. But I want you to realize that this is not original with uh, public service announcement or parents teaching their kids across the street. This actually came from the example of Jesus. And if you have your Bible, open with me to Mark chapter 5. We're going to learn how to stop and look and listen to give hope through Jesus to people. In Mark chapter 5, we find this, that Jesus has just talked to a guy named Jairus. And Jairus is a leader in the synagogue. He's kind of a big deal, right? But Jairus, his daughter is dying. And he says, Jesus, can you come with me? Let's get to the house. She's dying. And if you can get there, you will actually be able to, you know, heal her. And so will you please come? And Jesus actually says, yes. He interrupts what he's doing, and he says, yeah, let's go. So Jesus, and picture this, Jesus in a big crowd. It's the walking ambulance of the day. And they're walking. The ambulance is on its way to Jairus' house. You know, the sirens in the sense are blazing. They're just going there. Everybody's going, let's hurry up. And that's where this, this illustration picks up. In Mark chapter 5, verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Let me just say, have you ever experienced that? You've gone to appointments. You've paid deductibles. You've paid a lot of money. And instead of getting better, it just seems like you're getting worse. Well, that's her condition. She is not a wealthy person. She has spent all she had And it's gotten worse. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, then I will be healed. This woman sneaking up behind Jesus, if I could just touch him. And I want you to know in your outline, you might want to write this down, but it says people hint that they need help before they ask for it. They throw out a touch. They're going to find out, are you willing to listen to me? Do you care enough to care for me? And I'm going to reach out for help however I can, but I'm going to hint about it before I actually come out and ask for help. I'm going to make some hints to you, and based on your receptivity, it'll let me know if I'm going to open up and be honest with you about what's really going on in my life. They throw out a hint before they ask for help. They throw out a touch. Why? Because people don't want to be a burden, right? Here's this lady. She comes up behind Jesus. She's thinking, It's the moving ambulance. The crowd is moving along, and I'm just going to sneak up and touch them and take care of what's going on with me, and you reach out for help. And this is what happens, verse 29. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? There's like a big crowd of people, right? Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Let me just ask, how long do you think that took? She came, she's trembling with fear. She tells him the whole truth. In that moment, Jesus says then, 
He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Listen, I want you to realize this point. Jesus, people need Jesus plus help to equal wholeness. They don't just need Jesus and they don't just need help. They need both. And this woman thought she just needed help. Jesus might be the vehicle, but he's busy. He didn't have time for me. So she snuck up and she touched his cloak. And instantly power went out from God and he felt that it had gone out from him. And she felt inside of her that her bleeding for all these years had stopped. And what does Jesus do in that moment? Jesus stops. He stopped. Mark 5.30, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Why? Jesus is aware that there's an opportunity to build faith at hand. That there's something greater than just helping a person get over their physical ailment. That he wants them to grow in their faith and there's an opportunity for the crowd and for others to learn that they can put their faith in their relationship with Jesus. Well, how? He put the urgency of the moment on hold. You say, well, wait, wait, what urgency? Well, this makes us look back in the passage. Look at Mark 5, 21. Go backwards. When Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with them, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will live, be healed and live. And so Jesus went with them. And so here it is. The crowd is moving. We're going to Jairus' house. His daughter is dying right now. And we're on our way. And here the whole crowd is going. And all of a sudden the lady sneaks up behind Jesus, touches his thing, and he stops. And he turns around and has a conversation. Now think for a minute if you're Jairus. What's happening on the inside? Say, hey lady, bleeding isn't dying. We gotta go. Come back tomorrow. Like, this is urgent. But isn't it interesting that Jesus, in the midst of what we all perceive to be so urgent, has learned that interruption is opportunity. Sometimes we get so caught up in us and our world and our pace that we miss that. But Jesus doesn't. First thing he does is he stops. He traded the temporary urgency for the eternal. Second thing he did is he looked says in verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Well, why? Why do you and I need to do that? It takes a slowing down for us to look for the need behind the ask. Does that make sense? That people will come and they'll say, I need help. Or I'm exposing that I have a need. And we need to look beyond the immediate need for the real heart need that's going on. That they need help, but they also need Jesus to become whole. There's a bigger issue at stake than where your next meal is coming from and gas for your car and where you might lie your head down tonight. And those are important. But there are bigger things at stake. And if we can learn to stop and begin to look for the big need, we begin to act more and more like Jesus and we begin to engage on a deeper level with people than we can imagine. Man, we could be all about us, and all of a sudden we become all like Jesus. And we're reaching out to people that we just thought were kind of invisible to us. 
And that's what Jesus begins to do. So what happens? We look for a crisis, a need, the question or cry behind the comment or crisis or need. We stop. We look. We listen to give hope through Jesus. So Jesus stopped. Jesus looked and kept looking. And the last thing he did was he listened. She had to take time to tell the whole story. Picture this. It's a very private health struggle. You're spending all you have. You're trying to get better. The only people who know are you and your doctors. But now Jesus stops and he looks and he begins to listen. And it says that she told him the whole story. So guess what? Now your embarrassing inner bleeding struggle is now public knowledge for the whole crowd. The moving ambulance has stopped and everybody's ears are attuned. And you're coming falling at Jesus' feet and telling him the whole story. Mark 5, 33, then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told them the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I want you to notice that God ultimately is more concerned about faith than physical healing. Let me say that again very carefully. Does God care where you need help? Yes. Can God heal? Absolutely. But God's ultimate healing is when we all trade this body in and we have a new body, a new heaven, a new earth. Presence of the Lord is the body of Christ, a body that will never perish or spoil or fade. That's the ultimate help and the ultimate need. And that only comes through faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. So Jesus, even as he healed people, was ultimately more concerned about faith. And so she comes up and she grabs the hem of his garment. And she's healed and now she has to tell his whole story. And I want to tell you something that's very interesting. Jairus is a big deal. Jairus has a big name. He's a big name in the church, in the synagogue. He's a leader in the synagogue. And it's Jairus' daughter that's dying and he's desperate to get help for her. But he's named here. This woman, she's not named. Mark doesn't tell us who this is. It just says a woman. But Jesus stopped, looked, and listened. And a person who thinks, I don't matter much, finds out that she matters. And I love it. The unnamed woman in this passage becomes daughter. Do you see what Jesus did? He's brought her back to identity. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He has brought her to identity. He has called her out. He has challenged that it was her faith in him, but he needs to reinforce that faith is what brings about healing, ultimate healing, wholeness, relationship with Jesus. She goes from being an unnamed woman to being a daughter, and that's what God does with you and me. We come for help. And we cry out to God. And some of us in this room, that's the only time you go to God when you need help. So he's like the ambulance to you. I need help. And then as soon as you're good, then you're like, all right, I'll see you later. And all you do is cry out for God's hand. God, God, I want you to give me what your hands can do. And God says, I want to give you me. I want your faith to be in me. I'm not just interested in help. I want you to become whole in relationship with me. And so I'm happy to help, but let me be honest, at the end of the day, what I want you to do is have relationship with me through faith and what I did on the cross. 
People need Jesus plus help to become whole. And some of you in this room, you know the helper, but I don't know if you know the savior yet. That you don't know the one who's given his life for you. You don't know relationship. You've been seeking God's hands, but you haven't seeked his face. Like a little kid just rubbing their hands on their daddy's face. That relationship. Jesus stopped, looked, and listened. Because people need Jesus plus help to equal wholeness. He realizes that it's more important than the physical need or the healing that faith is important. He cares for those infirmities too. Well, Jairus needed Jesus plus help to equal wholeness. Now here's what happens, right? He's like, my daughter's dying. We gotta go, 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 go. And it's urgent. And he's finally got, whoa, I got the help. Jesus is moving. We're all moving to the crowd. We're going to my house. He's like, this is good. This is good news. But people come and tell him, hey, don't bother. I'm so sorry. But your daughter, she died. She passed away. And you can see in that moment, Jairus just being deflated when this report comes from the crowd. And Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now what has Jairus just seen? He's just seen a demonstration of faith that this woman snuck behind Jesus and he stopped and cared for her. But now he says, all my hope is lost, it's gone. And Jesus is saying, just don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus takes three disciples with him. They go to the house. They get to the house. The mourners are outside the house. Everybody's crying and wailing. They see Jesus. Jesus says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. They're like, what are you talking about? We don't live in like an American society that sweeps death and dying off to, you know, secret places and be quiet about it. They're like, we understand it every day. We know if a person's dead or alive and she's gone. And they laugh at Jesus. And Jesus goes in and tells this little daughter, to rise, to get up. And she rises from the dead. And he returns that daughter to Jairus. And in that moment, people are blown away. Who is this? Who is this that can bring someone back from the dead? Jesus was more concerned with Jairus's faith in this urgent matter than just simply giving him help. He was more concerned with the woman, the daughter's faith, and that she become public and open about her need, that her faith was put in Jesus, and it was through that that she was then helped than simply her infirmity. And yet God has a way of just sometimes helping people out with their infirmities too. My grandpa, a number of years before he passed, he's passed away, but, and so is my grandma. But before he had passed, my grandma had already gone to be with Jesus. My grandpa was in a nursing facility, and, and he just said, you know, it was like April of the year. And he said, you know, Dave, like, um, I just want to tell you this story. I want to tell you, like, this testimony. He just said, as you know, I've been having this shoulder pain. And the shoulder pain was so bad, he would call my mom, his daughter, at night, in the middle of the night. And he'd be crying on the phone, and he's alone, and he's got this bad shoulder pain. And sometimes it was so bad, it would, it would make him, like, nauseous and, and throw up. And, and it was so brutal. And it's just so heart-wrenching, you know, to see someone in pain. I've had my shoulder rebuilt. I've had rotator surgery. And there's just something that's unique about shoulder pain. I've had knee surgery and knee pain, and those are bad, too. But there's something unique about shoulder pain. Back pain's probably up there at the top, your back, your neck, right? But, like, all, it's hurt. Pain is pain. And, and for him, he just said, I got to tell you this testimony. He said, at Christmas this year, I just, it was just me and alone in my room talking to Jesus. And he just said, 
Jesus, if, if you'd like to give me a Christmas gift this year, I sure would like this shoulder pain to go away. And he said, it's April, and I haven't had any pain since Christmas. Did he get help? Yeah. But what's his ultimate help, his ultimate healing? That when the shoulder is done, that when his body, his rental gets turned back in, he is now face to face with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, a sacrificial Savior. You can see the scars on the hands and the feet and the side of Christ. He's with my grandma in heaven with a new body that will never perish or spoil or fade. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. But it's kept in heaven. And that's his ultimate hope. And what I want to challenge today is that when people are hurting around us, that sometimes we ask God for help, but we're not interested in God increasing our faith in the process. Sometimes we ask God for help and we put him on as like jury, as the jury, and we want to convict him. God, did you help or didn't you? And did you do it my way or didn't you do it my way? And what God really wants is to say, will you let this formative experience develop in you all that I want to do through you? And will it lead to you increasing your faith in relationship with me. Do you know my help? Or you, have you become whole because you know me? There's this great verse in Zechariah 8, verse 20 and 23, the Old Testament. The prophet Zechariah writes this. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let's go at once to entreat the Lord and to seek the Lord Almighty, I myself am going. And many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord Almighty to entreat him. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Here's the picture. A day is coming when these chosen people, the Jewish people, God is saying through the prophet Zechariah, he's saying, listen, a day is coming when everybody from every nation, from all these tribes of people, they will grab a hold of the people that they perceive have a relationship with God, and they will throw out a feeler saying, they'll grab your robe and say, please, can I just go with you? And your response to them should be, let us go at once, I myself am going. Your response should basically be this. You're invited, welcome home. But you and I have to stop and look and listen to hear the need for hope behind the ask for help. You and I need to slow down. And it's then that we get on board with Christ's mission that's bigger than our mission in that moment. It's a beautiful way because people are asking around you, can you see me? Can you see my real need? Can you see behind my complaining? Can you see behind my problem, my illness, my sarcasm, my self-reliance? Can you see what's really going on with me? Can you see me? And they're reaching in a way. They're almost like grabbing out to you saying, well, I, I've heard that maybe you have faith or I've seen something in your life. I don't know what that is, but can you lead me to hope? And we need to not just help them, but lead them to hope, not in us and what we can bring to the table, but in a God who gave everything and brought it to the table for us. Stop, look, and listen to give hope in Jesus. What are some practical ways you can do that? Let me give you a couple real quick. One is sports. 
you can go to a, a website called imsecond.com. And you can look at professional athletes who are sharing their story, their testimony about how they came to know Jesus and came into relationship with him. Man, you could show a sports game, any bowl game, anything, throw that thing in on halftime to show that video and it will start a conversation. Use sports. Use technology. Show people how to get the Bible on their phone. That even right now, you might not even own a Bible, but right here in this room, you could download the U version Bible app. It's Y-O-U version Bible app. And you can have the Bible with you on your phone everywhere you go. And you can do searches. You can do different reading plans. You can do stuff that's very topical, like I'm in suffering or I need help or whatever, and do a reading plan on that. And you begin to get questions about your faith answered. You could do books. I mean, people love to read. If you know someone who loves to read, give them some enjoyable reading. Give them something good to read that leads them toward hope. And last conversation. When you're having celebrations, listen, ask caring questions, offer heartfelt encouragement, even when the outlook isn't that good. Just give hope in Jesus. It's not in you. Thank goodness, right? We can only do so much, but we can offer them a God of hope. You will bring those who are outside of God's circle into the circle of identity, that there are people who are outside of God's circle But by pursuing hope in Jesus, they find that they are a son or a daughter of the Most High God whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. You're not an orphan. You're not abandoned. God is not against you. He loves you. And he wants to move you in spiritual growth from identity to formation to community to mission with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. There are some of you in this room that you know some of this, but you've never stepped across the line of faith. You have some knowledge, but you've never made that decision that Jesus, yes, I'm gonna make a decision for you. I'm gonna ask you to help me, but I'm gonna say that the only way that you help me so much is that I believe what you did on the cross was done for me. And if that's you right now, just right in your seat where you're seated, just pray silently or even just on the inside, God hears you. He created you. He can stop, look, and listen to you right now. But you pray something like this. Just pray, Jesus, today, I give you me. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a new creation on the inside. Wash me of all my sin. Would you make me as white as snow? I believe that happens because you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried. You rose to new life because you're God. So today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.